welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, um, today isn't going to be one of my typical rants and with a guest who rants with me about uh, the state of America or um, the state of Israel or the war, the state of Hamas, all of that. I thought we would be a little gentler today for a change and um, talk about things that are closer to home, Um, things that, you know, besides all the craziness that's happening in the world, um, we each have our own lives, you know, and our own personal uh, issues and stories and and, um, things that are happening. You know, it's it's not just about what's happening in the outside world. So today we're going to be talking about skyrocketing, skyrocketing divorce what it's like to be a child between homes. And my very distinguished guest is Anthony Moore. Did I pronounce, I should have asked you, did that's, I pronounce? That's just like uh, more, more or less, no more, more okay. or less, whatever. Okay. Uh, Anthony J. Moore, there are apparently other Anthony Moores. Um, <laughs> there were at least. Um, and Mr. Moore, or should I call, I want to, I feel like I should call you your honor. You can also you can also call me Tony. It's all right. Okay, I can right. call you Carol. You can call me Tony. Okay. Um, he served for 26 years as a judge on the Superior Court of Los Angeles in California. He also sat as a judge pro tem on the California Court of Appeals. And in January 2021, he became a fellow at the Advanced Leadership Initiative at Harvard University and is now a senior editor of the Harvard ALI Social Impact Review. What does ALI stand for? Advanced Leadership Initiative. Ah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's, we just use the initials. <laughs> yes, okay. And his stories and essays have received five Pushcart Prize nominations. He's worked on the staffs of the Evening Street Review, Fifth Wednesday Journal, Hippocampus Magazine, and Under the Sun. And his new book, that is what we are going to be talking about, Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. And this is an amazing, well-written and fascinating book and something that I think a lot of you are going to be able to relate to, either as parents who got divorced or children of divorce. Um, I know one of my hats is as a forensic psychiatrist, and I have um, been involved in uh, representing people um, in divorce and custody battles, and that is um, that is not the easiest part of uh, of trials. That is the, that is not the easiest kind of case by any means. They're very emotional. So, um, welcome to the show, first of all, Tony. Well, thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Um, where would you like to start? I mean, <laughs> you know, you have to understand that as a psychiatrist, I always ask people to to. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by basically what you write about. I mean, you know, uh, childhood. What happens in people's childhood that then make them become who they became? By the way, did you? Um, 
do when you were a judge in LA um as a regular superior court judge not on the court of appeals but did you, I would I would imagine did you handle divorce cases believe it or not I did not um, huh. I didn't want to have a family assignment and in Los Angeles um you 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 usually end up in a particular type of place like civil trials criminal trials juvenile trials if I were in like Modoc County or uh you know Tulare County you do everything it's a small place but we yeah. don't um and I just didn't want it. I would have taken the assignment had I been given it at the beginning of uh, my term. Fortunately, I didn't. I really didn't feel like going through or reliving that uh, that experience. Okay. And I was delighted that the no presiding judge gave me the assignment. Um, I had one divorce case ever, and I've never really studied the family code. I never had to do it in practice. I never. I always turned down family cases, and. Um, as I said, I had one case. They came in because they wouldn't stipulate to the commissioner who usually did them in that court. And I said to the attorneys, you know, look, I don't know anything about family law. I'd like a brief from you on every aspect of your case because you're dealing with a complete, you know, tyro of a judge in this field. And the next day they settled the case. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about it, thank goodness. <laughs> That was a good. Uh, that's been a good way to get rid of more of them. If you um, now, why I should ask you because before feeling uh, wondering about this the whole um, show, did I ever was I ever an expert? I've been doing this as being an expert witness for a, quite a while. Was no, I ever no, you never were because again, a I never had a family law case. I, I did, know, but I do all I do civil and criminal. I've never had you as an expert witness. Uh, I actually have had what I would call family cases, which were divorces masquerading as civil cases or criminal cases. So I've, done, I've done those. Uh, I, I had one, which I'll never forget. It was an assault and battery uh, uh, against the husband by the wife. And it was a civil case. And um, the jury came back very quickly with a defense verdict. But uh, it was... It, it showed me just how ugly divorce is. It was a complete mm -hmm. reminder of all the things I never liked about it. All right. So let's start off um, with uh, with your childhood. I mean, I mean, I've read some of the book and I, I would I, I would like to read more because it was it was incredible writing and it was incredibly compelling uh, the story. So. um. Why don't you just start from the beginning? I'm sure you. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Um, it, I guess even though the divorce was traumatic and very upsetting and clearly had a lifelong impact, I don't think I would have written the book, you know, if it had just been a minor event, if you will. Um, I'm lucky because my father did whatever he could as best to raise me well. And my stepfather was the same. He did what he could to raise me well. And they were both full of faults. And I don't spare anything in the book. I was fairly straight out about what happened, and I hope clear-eyed. But, um, you know, when I look back and, you know, think about other people I know, other families, matters I've heard in court, you know, my experience comes nowhere near them. You know, no, there's, there, there, there's no, you know, child abuse, push, you know, putting burned cigarettes into a child's palm or things like that. Uh, that just didn't happen. There was corporal punishment. Uh, and I do have one chapter where I write quite extensively about that. But um, you know, and, and, and when all is said and done, these were two men who tried their best despite a lot of drawbacks that they had. 
very opposite faults, but faults nonetheless. Okay, so let's let's go chronologically. So once upon a time, there you were born to Rita and Stan, and Hedda Hopper announced my birth. Oh, um, yeah. She was a known columnist at the time. I've got the column. I, uh, somehow my mother kept it, and I've got it. Yeah. Didn't know what it meant until many years later when I found it. Um, and you know, they gave me a good start. Uh, I was an only child. I did want siblings. Uh, and one of the benefits of the divorce was I picked up two of them when my mother remarried. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the beginning, it was just, you know, myself in the backyard, just, you know, playing all alone. And so there was a lot of loneliness there. Um, I was on a block uh, that literally the only kids my age were girls. There were no boys on that uh, block. They were around the corner. But as you know, friendships run down a block, not across the backyard fence and to the next street. And as a result, my okay. where where was this? By the Sherman way? Oaks. This okay. was in Sherman Oaks. Uh, lovely street. The house is still there, although the lot was subdivided. And uh, so it's, every time I go by there, I look at that newer house and kind of think, shake my head because it really wrecked the uh, you mm-hmm. know the Arcadian atmosphere that I was in. You know, with a with literally an orchard and a fruit trees. And then a lot of grass and a little playhouse in the back. Um, but that's where I grew up. And, uh, you know, my closest friends were girls until I really got into the into school, into the first grade. And uh, all was well, except that uh, as my dad is an actor, a lot of fantasy I thought was reality. Uh, I have one chapter about my father being uh, playing the part of a uh, announcer, reporter, uh, when the Russians invade the United States and win. Oh, yeah. It's called Invasion USA. My folks wisely did not let me see the movie. Uh, <laughs> I saw it when I was an adult. Uh, but I heard my dad running his lines. And you know, I kept hearing, you know, the United States has been bombed, atomic bombs have hit Seattle and all this. And of course I believed it. You know, I knew what an A-bomb was. I had heard of, I knew who Joseph Stalin was. I knew what Invasion USA meant. I kept hearing it over the dinner in conversation. And, you know, for a long time, I believed it until I realized this was a movie. Same with my dad playing the villain. He was always the villain in a lot of Westerns. He loved playing the bad guy. It was a license to break the rules. Mm -hmm. And they did let me see one movie called The Duel at Silver Creek. And at the end, he gets shot dead. And I was at a a matinee at the Lorena Theater. Now it's just the Lorena Shopping Center in New York, uh, on Ventura Boulevard. But uh, it was at the Lorena Theater. He gets shot dead, and the whole theater applauds. So here's my father, dead on the ground, and everybody around me is cheering. <laughs> that didn't feel good. <laughs> now, didn't your parents explain any of this to you? That it was just Not until like- that day, Carol. I remember my mother, I came home in tears, and my mother said, look, you know, your daddy loves these uh, roles and everybody's cheering because he's such a good actor, but it doesn't mean they dislike him. Um, and, yeah, they're playing for that the bad guy is dead. I mean, they're clapping because the bad guy is dead, not because your father died. Of course, but I was five <laughs> years old. I'm yeah. five years old. I don't you appreciate that. that ahead of time. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't prepare me. Now, it's interesting. Jerry Lewis's kid had a similar situation because everybody would laugh, you know, when Jerry Lewis uh, did his shtick. And um, the kid was convinced everybody was laughing at his father. Mm-hmm. And as my mother explained to me, they're not laughing at him. They're laughing with him. And there's a big difference. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that hit home. That really helped me understand what was going on. Uh-huh. Okay, so you seem to, so the childhood, other than that trauma, <laughs> seems, <laughs> seems to have been pretty, pretty good, pretty, um. It's pretty you know, good, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it was, and you know, the first grade was delightful. Then we moved to Sweden because my dad wanted to play the international man of mystery. He always wanted to play a, you know, a Cold War show or something with the Russians and the you know Americans and all the spies. And he was offered a series called Foreign Intrigue, where he owned a hotel or managed a hotel, I should say. And um, there were spies there from behind the Iron Curtain and from uh, America and everywhere else. And it was set in Vienna, but shot in Sweden, because Vienna at the time was like Berlin, it was carved up among the four powers. And uh, he loved the he loved it, but he never should have taken the uh, the part. He never should have moved over there. Because? It hurt his career forever. Well, wait, you were first, you were seven years old? I was seven at that time, yeah. Um, and how, how did it hurt his career? Because he was too, he was there too long? There, he was there a year, and people forget a year. Uh, number one, number two, the series was going into its third season, and so it was dying. He was picking up uh, the lead in a series that wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. And number three, he turned down an offer to be the lead in Wyatt Earp. <laughs> oh man, <That laughs> go figure! That. He didn't want to do another western. <laughs> oh, okay. So well, Hugh all, O'Brien got the part, and the rest is history. We're all smart in look, you know, twenty twenty and all that. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, and then and there was another bad reason why he he shouldn't have. Uh, another reason why he should not have moved to Sweden, and that is. Well, he meets my Dietrich, who was the they used to call them then the script girl. I think they now call them the script supervisor, but my um, uh, stole him away. He left my mother and ended up with my and married her uh, two years later. He left. He left her in '56 when we got back from Europe, um, and I, of course, had no idea what was going on until my parents announced to me they were separating. I had no idea what a divorce was, and then two years later, my mother announced that my father had gotten married. And my first question was, "Who did he marry?" <laughs> uh-huh. And my mother said, "My," and I was gobsmacked. I just was shocked that that was that had happened. And um, it was a very, very bad second marriage. Well, was um, was he seeing her in those two years? Like, did he go back to Sweden or was she coming to America? Both of the above. Uh-huh. Both of the above. And yeah. I didn't know this until he they, he went back to shoot another pilot, of what was supposed to be called Rough Sketch, about an artist. Uh-huh. Um, ironically, the artist theme came from Mai's first husband, Deet, who uh-huh. was an artist. And actually... Their divorce was very friendly. My and Deet were very close, and Deet became a good friend of my father's. And um, then he comes back from Europe with the pilot in the can, and Mai comes off the plane with him, and we're down at LAX watching mm. him, uh, you know, walk down the steps back on the old airport. Mm. And I was shocked, you know, who, why is she here? And um, the series was the, the the pilot bored me, probably because I was, a, you know, a, a little kid, but it didn't hold me at all. Uh, and it never made it to the little screen. Mm-hmm. But uh, mine made it to my father and uh, they separated. And I didn't even realize they were seeing each other until uh, 1958 when my mother said, guess who your dad married? So how, what was, 
well, we're going to be, you can just start that we only have, uh, oh, we have two minutes to break. So I don't want you to start something. But what I'm going to want to ask you about is, um, you know, what those years were like, like from 56 to 58, and then the the divorce and did you go to court when they no, uh, my mother went to court with an, a well-known actress named Betty Lou Gerson, who lived actually around the corner from us. And she had worked with my dad on Philip Marlowe. My dad played Philip Marlowe on the radio. And Betty Lou was a lovely person. She and Joe were great. But Betty and my mom went to court and it was a default divorce. They had worked out everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, But to quickly answer your question before the break, I know we've got maybe two minutes to go. They were traumatic years. I was very upset, very sad, very lonely, not understanding what was going on. It was, I wanted my mother to remarry badly. She could have married King Kong as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to get married again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, at least you didn't have the part in court. No. <laughs> no. no there was no custody battle at all. Yeah, that- well, we'll have to talk about that because that can have an effect too. That they kind of agreed. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We have, okay. to, we have to stop now. You are listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. <laughs> um, my guest is Anthony J. Moore. Uh, we're talking about his incredible book called Every Other Weekend Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. So stay tuned. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself. 
and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about, uh, well, first of all, my guest is Anthony J. Moore. And we're talking about his book called Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. Now, we left off <laughs> where Tony, <laughs> little nine-year-old at that point, right? Right. Divorced, trying to follow this here. Um, and, um, uh, and, and his, I mean, that you were, but you were with your mother, right, right? At the airport when you saw your father coming down with this, this new woman who became, uh, who you recognized from the show, right? From the, right. From the television, um, production. Um, but, but, and then you find out that she's going to be his new wife. I mean, that must've been, did you have, when you were watching, did you know that already when you saw him come down or were you kind of figuring this out at nine years old that, Oh my goodness, what's he doing with her? Is he going to be with her instead of my mother? I guess kids have some sort of an intuition. I didn't feel comfortable seeing her again. I had met her in Sweden. Uh, she had been to the house for dinner. We had been to her house for dinner. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, she was trying to be nice in Sweden, but I really didn't, you know, take well to her. Um, there was just something, I guess, in, you know, the little kid's brain that felt a little uh, threatened or something. And when she came off the plane, I think my, you know, my, my initial thought was, what's she doing here? I didn't think in terms of romance or marriage. That was way beyond my can. But mm -hmm. uh, just watching her off coming off the plane, I was thinking, whoa, you know, what what's going on here? And then they came to the house. My father sets up a projector and a screen and we watched the, uh, the pilot for rough sketch. As I said, I didn't care for the pilot at all. Um, I don't know where it is. I've always wanted to see it now as an adult, but I've never been able to locate it. Um, but then, yeah, two years later, they got married as well as my mother. <laughs> and so wait, so how did your mother act when she came to the house? Like, did she know what was going on? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I think I'd have to sit down on your couch for about you know, two weeks of deep analysis before I could answer that question. I just don't know. Well, did she act not all that welcoming to her? I don't know. Huh. I don't know. What I will tell you is her behavior changed shortly before the announcement of the divorce because she started telling me, you know, whenever your daddy comes home, run to the door and give him a big hug and kiss. And why'd she say that? I think she wanted to show my father how solid the family was or how happy we were. She okay. would tell me, your father is such a, he's, quote, quite a guy, end quote. She said that many times. She never said that before. Yeah. You know, she was the June Cleaver housewife, assuming everything went well. But yeah. this changed, and I couldn't understand why the change. My best guess now is she realized that the marriage was on thin ice. Yes. And she was trying to, yeah, trying to make him realize what he'd be losing. Correct. So then, so then when he um, told her at some point that he wanted a divorce, I presume that's how it happened. Um, how did she act for the rest of the time until until the marriage, until the divorce was final? Like, was she crying a lot? Was she? She cried behind the you know closed bedroom door. Um, she was never as you know jolly, if you will, or happy. You know, I always could see that she was troubled. She was scared. Uh, you know, money would become an issue. <clears throat> she, 
she ultimately wanted to, uh, she came from New York and had her mother still there, plus her two siblings. And so she ultimately wanted to go back there. Mm-hmm. So we moved back to New York for oh. about eight months. We didn't stay long because she almost immediately met her next husband, who was from California. But she met, Wait, she met the next husband in New York? Correct. It was a blind date. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, set up by an old high school friend of Stan's who was at the time uh, or would become the president of the Writers Guild West. Huh. Uh, but, but Mel Shavelson and Stan were old high school chums. And um, Mel said, oh, I should have introduced you, uh, Stan, to this Rita Moore before she moved to New York. If you're ever there, call her. And Stan happened to be there by accident, gave her a call. And I met him. Uh, we all went out on the Staten Island Ferry. And they started to see each other. And that was in April of 58. And they got married on December 21, 58. (laughs) So did you take to him? Yes. Yes. Which was good because the person she went out with before, a guy named Dr. Glass, uh, was a strange guy with a rat-like face. And I did not care for him. (laughs) Was he a psychiatrist? No, he was an MD. Well, a psychiatrist is an MD. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking of a regular, you know, internist, family doctor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He was not a therapist. Um, I think if he was, he would have produced a lot more patients with mental disorders than he would have cured. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, yes, but a lot of times psychiatrists are weird. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so, so, and of course, when you saw your mother feeling so sad and crying and all that, I mean, how did you feel about that? Well, I was sad too. Um, you know, I, I certainly had my share of crying fits along the way and feeling, you know, scared and alone and wondering what's going to happen. Um, and New York City was no fun for me. Uh, it got better after when we started the sixth grade. I got there in February of the fifth grade. Uh, and it was with a terrible teacher. Uh, but then when we got to the sixth grade, we had an excellent teacher and things got better. And I liked the kids in the class. But um, in fact, one or two of them are still friends of mine. And one of them lives out in L.A. now. And she ended up in high school with me. And we're still in touch. We're supposed to have lunch next week, in fact. Oh, yeah. Well, did, where, where did her mother live in New York? Or where did, where did you all live? when you went 141 to- East 88th Street. In Queens? No, no. Manhattan. In Manhattan? What's yeah. Oh, okay. Lexington Avenue and between 88th and 89th. The building is still there. I think it's gone condo or co-op. But well, didn't you like living in Manhattan? That's like a there's a lot to do. Yeah, but um, it gets cold there. There's <laughs> no lawn. You can't run through sprinklers. You know, you can't take your dog out on the lawn. I'm from New York. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I ended up going to law school in New York, and I had a lot more fun then. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so you know, I I enjoyed the the morning high side heights area of New York and all of that, but uh, not so, back then. So how would you? Okay, so then how did tell us about this next family, um, and going every other weekend? First of all, well, wait, one other thing, um. Your parents didn't fight. Your your biological parents didn't fight over custody. Uh, how no. did that come about, that it was going to be every other weekend? Well, my dad was a bon vivant, uh, live life large. And the last thing he wanted was some child in the house. Yeah. Uh, and although he and I became much closer after the divorce. 
he really made an effort to reach out and quote, be my pal. Um, so there was no issue about that. There was an issue about my mother moving me to New York. Uh-huh. And I've seen the letters between the lawyers about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but there was never a court action or anything like that. Um, so you know, that was easy. But moving to the second marriage, um, I picked up a brother and a sister in the bargain. I ended up being the middle kid. Uh-huh. The good news is my you know, I always wanted a brother. Skip was five years older, so he became my invincible older brother. Oh, doing yeah. everything I never could do. You know, I mean, I was not a big sports type. Skip raced boats, sailboats. He raced cars. He had a souped-up 1946 Ford with an Oldsmobile engine, uh, and he would drag race all over the place and get you know pick up tickets and make Stan half crazy with all of his run-ins. Uh, Leslie was two years younger. It took us more time to get used to each other, uh, but we did. And wait, so Les was Leslie a child of your mother? No, no, I'm an only. I'm an only child. Oh well, I was thinking you were on only with your first family. Yes. But, um. So you mean Stan already had an older and a younger yes, child? Yes. There are no. I have no half siblings at all. Okay. Go ahead. So. You know, but Skip moved into the house immediately because he didn't want to live with his mother. She had her own serious issues. But Stan made sure Leslie stayed with her mother, which she didn't want to do. But she was seven years younger than Skip. So at the time, if I'm 11, she's nine. And Stan said, look, your place is with your mother. Um, And so she remained there, although that was a source of, you know, stress for her. She ultimately moved in with us once we were all in high school. And I'd say when Leslie was junior, a junior going into her senior year, she finally moved over with us and was much happier, I think. But uh, we got along. And, you know, the, the, the three of us are still very close. In fact, I'm going to be spending Thanksgiving with them. My wife and I will be over in Arizona where they live. Uh-huh. So um, was there any, you know, I mean, it couldn't have been. Perfect from the start with no. joining the, um, joining no. an already made family, so to speak. Do, do you think? Did your Do you think your mother loved? They, describe um, Stan a little bit for so people understand the difference between the two fathers. Almost everything my father was, Stan wasn't. Physical appearance. My father was six two and thin, and you know, cut a real figure, and was very suave, and uh, had the radio voice. Stan was the same age, uh, same, same, almost the same age, same height, but fought his weight all the time. My father has wavy black hair. Stan was going bald. Uh, my father chain smoked. Stan smoked pipes, but not all the time. Um, Stan, my father was a bon vivant liberal Adlai Stevenson Democrat who ended up stumping for Bobby Kennedy and was at the ambassador when Kennedy was killed. Stan. Uh, was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, before he moved to California. And he was in the group of businessmen that got Gerald Ford to run for Congress. Comes out here, and he became a big supporter of Richard Nixon and Nixon's insurance broker. And Stans were the same person. And John Crable became ambassador to Finland. So Stan was the Rock Rib Republican, the Rock Rib Conservative, much more of a disciplinarian, uh, much harsher in many ways than uh, my father. Uh, more controlling, much more controlling. So there were a lot of differences. And yeah, that that created some difficulties. And also, you were saying that your father was kind of living 
um, script to script, you know, uh, role to role. Yeah. Um, and Stan was. Um, Stan was a serial entrepreneur, but at the time he had started, he had started back around 1950, a company that made business machines. And he was at the height of that when my mom and he got married. They, they ended up getting an order from the Bank of America to make the machines that embossed and the machines that imprinted the Bank Americard, which is now Visa. And this was a huge breakthrough because, of course, credit cards were coming into their own. There was still there was already Diners Club. Uh, but, you know, Bank Americard was a rather pioneering concept, if you will. And, um, you know, the good news is Joe Williams, the vice president of Bank of America, looked to Stan's company. He didn't pick a dressograph or IBM for the job. He picked Dashu Business Machines. And they became very good friends. Uh, Joe Williams's kids, who were about the same age as, you know, my, me and, and, and Stan's children, were still friends. Diane and Chip and I are still very uh, good pals. In fact, Diane and my wife and I had dinner a week ago. So... Uh, but but Stan was extremely prosperous and extremely successful with this company, which ultimately in 1963 he sold to the Howard Hughes organization. Hughes Tool. So you know, uh, so for one question, you know, my first book was called Bad Boys: Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them, and When to Leave Them. And um, it seems like your mother went from a bad boy, your father, this debonair you know, uh, yeah. man who ultimately cheated on her and um, left her and all that, to um, Stan, who seems more like a, a good boy. Indeed. But, but more, um, not quite as exciting as your father. Not not, not, uh, not at all as exciting. He, <laughs> did, he did do adventure. He loved to sail. And in 1949, he took his then wife, and his two children, Leslie at the time was, what, a year old, a year and a half old, and Skip. And they got themselves a 76-foot schooner and sailed down the St. Lawrence River, down the East Coast, through the Caribbean, through the Panama Canal, into L.A. year and a half trip. Oh. This was some a time, in, in 49, very close to the uh, end of the war. People weren't doing these things. Yeah. And, you know, they, they had all sorts of experiences. And Stan filmed it. He wanted to make a film uh, series out of it, like mm. I Search for Adventure. It didn't really work, but uh, I've seen the footage, and you know they had lots of adventure. Uh huh. And Stan always wanted to have you know boats, and most of the time he had them. So there was a sense of adventure in the man. Uh huh. So what do you think, your mother? Um, do you think she saw him? Did she? Was she as much in love with him as she was with your father? Or did she see him as somebody who was like going to be a safe um, relationship? I tend to think both. Uh-huh. I mean, she loved him. You know, there's no question. He, I will tell you, he loved her. He, he worshipped the ground she walked on. Uh-huh. You know, she died at 78. Stan died at 96. He never got over her, even though he was crazy about another woman starting about a year and a half later, uh, he was always in mourning. I mean, and I was there and I saw it and I can tell you it was genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my mother, I think my mother, A, appreciated him fully and also loved him. The marriage was a good marriage, Carol. Uh, I would almost call it a storybook marriage. It was everything 
my mother and father didn't have. My mother and father did not fight in the open. But I can tell you that as a child, I would like to draw cartoons. And in the cartoons, the adults who talked to each other were always yelling at each other Mm -hmm. with fire coming out of their nostrils or their ears or whatever. So there was obviously a lot of tension. But I don't remember screaming matches at all. So any tension was underneath. Now, in the second marriage of my father, as good as as good as the marriage of my mom and Stan was, the marriage with dad and mine was not good. They, I heard lots of fights and yelling and screaming. It really didn't get on. And my father at one point walked out and he had a long running affair with another woman whom I met no, a number of times. Huh. Yeah, he brought me into it. So he had an excuse to get out of the house. Did, um, did they get divorced or he? No, I don't think he could afford it. He, uh-huh. he moved out at one point and got an apartment. And said, that's it, Charlie, quote, unquote. That's it, Charlie. I'm out of here. Um, but they got back together again. Huh. Hmm. So that's, uh, I mean, it must have been very, um, I mean, I guess there were, did you try to, in order to uh, to have, to be happy, did you try when you were at each person's house um, to just appreciate the best of each of them? I think I did, but I also would make comparisons. There were times I would be at my father's house and say, gee, you know, mom and Stan, they're much better. I'm glad I live there. There were times with my mother and Stan where I went, oh, my God, Stan's impossible. I really wish I were with my father and mine. Uh So that went back and forth. Well, okay, we need we have another break. Okay. Um, but when we come back, I actually would like to ask you a little more about that, um, because, you know, you say the book is every other weekend. But um, but I'm wondering how that kind of actually worked out, whether where you were more and all that kind of stuff. We'll do. We'll talk about that. How that affected you, because I think there are a lot of people who can relate to all of this. So um, we will take another break again. My guest is Anthony J. Moore. That's M-O-H-R. And his book is Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. We're going to get more into that when we come back. So stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about skyrocketing divorce, what it's like to be a child between homes. And my guest is Anthony Moore, Anthony J. Moore, M-O-H-R. His book is Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads. So um, I wanted to ask you about, like, I mean, one of the things that's really hard um, during divorce and custody battles is when kids feel, uh, it's so easy to feel You know, it's one thing for the parents to be arguing about, I want the child more, or I, you know, and I know you said your father really didn't have the lifestyle where he wanted to have you all the time, but like, um, but how did that feel? I mean, how, how did they work it out uh, in the end, how much time you were going to be spending with each one and how, how did it make you feel? Well, it was every other weekend. That was the deal with me living with my mother and Stan. And so first weekend I would, be home with them. And uh, we go sailing on Stan's boat. He built another boat after marrying my mom. It was a 58-foot catamaran, the largest on the West Coast at the time. And we'd go to Catalina. Sometimes I'd bring friends from school on the boat. Leslie and Skip would come along. And we actually had a lot of fun. But Stan being the the you know the, the hard-bitten businessman that he was and the Calvinist that he was, you had to work on the boat. You were, you know, swab the deck, polish the chrome, you know, do all of that. Uh, it wasn't just lie around and get some sun and go swimming. Uh, but that would be one weekend. The next weekend, I was with my father. And if we were home with Maya and the kids, not much was going on. We'd go out, the, 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 Tommy and Timmy, who were considerably younger, they were four and six years younger, we'd play in the street or do something. Um, my father didn't have a lot of money. And my let me know it. She really quite often would say, we don't have any money. One time she blurted out, we're poor uh, oh. at the dinner table. I said something about what we should do the next day, maybe go horseback riding or go oh. to Pacific Ocean Park. And she said, don't you realize that we're poor? And she essentially yelled it. Um, okay. So the two weekends were very different. Um, if my dad and I were alone, that was more fun. Uh-huh. He sometimes did go horseback riding or whatever. He had a friend who had some horses and they, he gave me lessons. Sometimes we'd go to a studio. Uh, they weren't shooting on the weekends, but they might just have people hanging out. Um, or we'd go to what we he called the club, which was the Department of Unemployment. Where we'd go pick up a check and we'd sit <laughs> online and sometimes other actors and we'd you know, hey, how's it going? Do you have any work this week? That kind of thing. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'd watch him pick up his few dollars uh, checks from the 
the gated uh, little counter, and then we'd go off and play miniature golf, which I loved. So we did a lot of that. So they were two very different weekends. So, so, um, so, but what other than the weekends during the week was always with your mother and Stan. Yeah. I mean, there, I'm sure there were a couple of times I might have dinner with my father, but I don't remember those. I mean, essentially we're talking about 99.8% of the time. My mother and Stan during the week, I'm in school, I'm home doing homework. And frankly, I'm happy. Uh, the school. I was very, very happy in school. School was really the stable center of the world because unlike so many kids from divorced families, I was lucky. I enjoyed school. I met the good kids, not the bad kids. We became very friendly. It took a while because I wanted to be accepted by them. And in Beverly Hills, which is where we were, uh, you weren't immediately accepted. You kind of had to ease your way in and hope for the best. Uh-huh. Uh, you were not immediately invited to parties and uh, you know all that. It, it, it took a while, uh-huh. but once I was in, you know, I had very close friends, and we're still close friends. A lot of us still get together and uh, Zoom every week or two, and just keep up. Hmm. So, in that sense, I, I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And the teachers were good too. I mean, I had really excellent teachers at uh, Beverly Vista, the grammar school. And then at Beverly High, I had really good teachers. Did you ever, this may seem like a very strange question, but did you ever, um, I mean, you loved your father. He was very good to you in his own way. Um, he was very special. He was more special in, in a way than Stan. I mean, Stan right. had a specialness, you know, because he was so successful and all that. But um, did you ever feel like you wanted to, Ask your mother or ask Stan for some money to give to your father? No, nobody's ever asked me that question before. That's an amazing question, Carol. But the answer is a resounding no. I never even thought about that. Huh. I never even did. My mother, you know, he, my father was supposed to pay support for me. And mm-hmm. that wasn't going to end because of my mother's marriage. The alimony would, but child support doesn't cut off. Right. And my father was very behind in child support. And my mother let me know it. Uh, but once in a while, my father would send $100. And she would say, Daddy sent a, a check this week. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. Stan was perfectly happy to support me. He never complained about it. In fact, he paid for my college education. Uh, but uh, I never thought about asking that question. Well, like when you were saying before that Maya would say said at the dinner table, we're poor. And... and um, you know, you couldn't do all the things, at least with her knowledge, um, that you would like to do and all that. Um, didn't you kind of feel sorry for him in a way? In terms, I of- felt yes, I felt sorry for him. I did, but I never thought to myself, "Oh, I want to help, and I'm in a position to help. I'm going to go back and ask my mother to get Stan to send him a check." Uh-huh. That just never crossed my mind. Uh-huh. Okay, or maybe tell him don't bother about the child support. I well, I guess your mother, <laughs> your mother wanted the child support even though she didn't necessarily need it financially. She, but it was it, like she wanted it. Carol. She wanted it, but it really made no difference to her. Mm-hmm. But I know that the I know that he, he, she took him to court at one point, and the judge chastised him and said, "You're going to follow the orders of the court." I mean, that made the newspapers, and I've got the article. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, the divorce was news, 
because yeah. my dad was known. So it, it did hit Variety and Hollywood Reporter. It wasn't a headline, but it was in there. Mm-hmm. The LA Times reported the divorce as well. So what would you, from your experience, now you, of course, turned out great. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you. We, so- we hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, we think. <laughs> well, now, I, I read in your book that, um, well, let's start with, first of all, you you didn't get married until you were 63. Did I read 66. that? Right? 66. 66. So do you think that that had something to do with your experience of these two families? Of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, marriage was not uh, an ideal state of nature for me. And although I saw a storybook marriage with my mother and Stan, I saw a bad marriage for the first 11 years. And then parallel with the storybook marriage, I saw a poisonous marriage. So two out of three were not so good. What do you mean? Oh, what do you mean parallel with the? I've got my father and my not getting along at the same time as my mother and Stan are going just fine. Okay, got it. The essence of romance. And so, so you did get married. Did so. And how is it going? We're fine. We're (laughs) fine. Tenth anniversary this year uh, was in what May? So this May will be eleven. We're fine. Congratulations. Thank you. We're hanging in there. We're okay. And so, but you don't have children. Well, we missed that window, didn't we? <laughs> uh, I don't know how old your wife is. She's older than I am, so we okay. missed the window. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, and what about, how do you think it affected your decision to become a judge? Um, one person said it very well. was at a bookstore uh, reading. And one person said who knew me said, you know, if it weren't for your father, you never would have written your memoir. If it weren't for Stan, you never would have become a judge. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But, you know, ironically, the divorce helped me because you're constantly weighing two different styles, two different worldviews. And nobody ever forced me to make a decision between the two. But here I am looking at two very opposite households and, you know, trying to inhabit one and then the other. And while not making a decision, at some point I'm thinking, okay, which is the better one? You know, if I had to decide, which one would I have picked? (laughs) And I think that that's, you know, that has something to do with being a judge because as a judge, you want to weigh the different points of view. You know, Mm. if you're looking at a civil case, a business that's, you know, where the partners are fighting, each side uh, has a a story to tell. And it's usually not all right on one side and all wrong on the other. There are reasons that things didn't go well. And if you're looking at a criminal case, even if the criminal was doing things that are clearly illegal and clearly uh, make him you know, worthy of prison, you want to know what, what happened? You know, why? Before you just say, okay, I'm sentencing you to 50 years or whatever, you know, you want to see the pre-plea report and find out who this person is and what happened. And, you know, is there something we can do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, interesting. <laughs> well, um, so what? What is the one thing we're we're kind of coming down? We have four minutes left till the end. What are some things or anything that you would like to that you would advise um, parents or children of divorce? What What have you learned that you would like to share? 
Um, it's a good question. I've been asked it before, and I've really never come up with what I consider a very satisfactory answer. But if you're a parent, first thing you do is don't criticize the other parent in front of your child. Okay, just don't do that. Now, my my parents were, you know, eighty five percent compliant in that advice. Uh, they never would call each other names to me. You know, my father never said, "Oh, your mother was you know, a witch," or my mother never said, "Oh, your father was a cad." You know, that never came up. But they would, you know, they would clearly say, "Here's what was wrong with them." And uh, you know, my mother explained how bad a temper my father had and how that probably cost him several roles. Mm. Uh, you know, later on when people said life's too short to work with them, mm. so I would just say, "Don't criticize the other parent at all." Just stay away from it. And if the child asks, the answer is, I'm not the one to tell you that. You know, you make your own decision. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get older, different story. You know, once you're beyond, you know, into your late teens or early 20s, I think it's, you know, you're mature enough to hear what your parents have to say. But if you're talking to a nine or a 10 year old or even a 12 or 13 year old, stay away. Stay mm-hmm. away. You know, be nice. Uh, the divorce was not the child's fault. And you want, you want to stress that and hammer it home yeah. because the kids will always feel somehow or other they're to blame. If you're the child, that's a harder question. You know, you're going to have to cope. Um, I think it would be easier to cope if you had a sibling. Uh, as an only child, it was very difficult, you know, because there was really nobody to talk to. And, uh, you know, I just was left to kind of wonder about it. And even when I got to school at that time, Divorce was not common. And none of my friends at Beverly Hills High School came from a broken home. None of them. They all had very strong uh, families, and I got to know them. And, you know, in many ways, I said, gee, you know, why can't mine be like this? Uh uh So maybe the best thing to do if you're a kid is, you know, try to be exposed to the stable, happy families. Uh So you know there's a, a different path. Yes, yes. Um, well, thank you so much. I, I, um, this has really been fascinating. And I want to again, uh, repeat the, repeat the name of the book and spell your name because that's, you know, it's not so easy to, uh, to, to imagine what it spells like just by saying it more. So Anthony J. Moore, M-O-H-R. The book again is called Every Other Weekend coming of age with two different dads. And you really, um, you described that so well. And I hope that parents will, you know, I always advise couples who are thinking about divorce to, first of all, be in, now I know it's different these days than it was back then, but to be in therapy for at least a year to try to work it out. Um, You know, I I think people are getting divorced as, as often as they change their underwear these days. Yeah, it's like going steady in high school. Yes, yes. and um, it is really harming kids. You know, yeah. kids have, have scars from it. Yeah, <laughs> Carol, I'll tell you. If I had to do it again, I would have said, "Get me into therapy." Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. The child should be uh, put into therapy as quickly as possible for as long as possible. Yes, absolutely. That is what I recommend as well. Of course, you're the um, exception. (laughs) (laughs) The exception that proves the rule. I don't know. Well, thank you so much again. And um, I wish you all kinds of success. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieber. Thank you. It's been a delight. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.